What's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 57 of Beef's Beef. Got another uh, guest on here today. Uh, it's actually another return guest. Uh, a lot of my friends know him. He's one of my great friends. And he actually he texted me. He was like, hey, man, I know you've been saying you wanted to get me back on. Let's do something different this time. I said, all right, what do you got? He said, there's a big fight coming up, UFC 229. I said, all right, let's do it. I said, I know you know your stuff about UFC. So without further ado, I got my buddy BJ Cato back on the podcast. How's it going, BJ? Doing well, Beef. I appreciate you, sir. Pretty excited about this. This is going to be the biggest fight of all time, in my opinion. Not only MMA, but bigger than boxing all, fights as well, too. All time. That's, all time. That, that holds a lot because I don't even know if this is the biggest fight, in my opinion, in McGregor's career. It's debatable, right? But I'm going to err on the side, and throughout the podcast, I think with all the things that we list, you might be singing a different tune at the end of the podcast. So you're not just saying that this is the biggest UFC fight. You're saying this is the biggest fight. Correct. Fight in general. Could be street fight, could be Kimbo Slice, could be the Hulk coming out of retirement, coming and fighting you personally, be first the Hulk. I think this will be the biggest fight of all time. I'm going to go ahead and call you crazy a minute and 40 seconds in saying that this is the biggest fight ever over some of those Ali fights, some of the the Tyson-Holyfield fights. Like, there's no way that this is – I mean, this – in my opinion, I don't care what kind of facts you have on those papers over there. This is not bigger than even Mayweather-McGregor. I like it. And I expected to catch a little bit of flack for saying that, right? So let me give you a couple of details. First and foremost, you have three countries involved, right? You're thinking, wait, there's only two fighters, so how in the world is there three countries? Well, let's go ahead and list. The two main fighters will be Khabib Nurmagomedov. He is of Russian descent or Dagestani descent. Then you've got Conor McGregor, who is of Irish descent, right? Yeah. Then, obviously, you've got a American promotion, which is the biggest mixed martial arts promotion in the world who is putting on this fight. So you combine those three countries, and even though Ireland is not huge or have the most amount of people, they are some of the most passionate MMA fans in the world. And I think they will show up big time for this fight. I think pay-per-view, they will sell a ton of fights. Um, I do agree with you and do give credit to a lot of those old-school boxing fights that have laid the platform for what this fight can be. But I think numerically there won't be a bigger fight. I think up in the future, um, either of these two guys could be a part of a big fight as well, too. But currently, this is the one I'm looking forward to the most. And I don't think... um, they will do anything but put on a heck of a show um, for everyone to see that night. Well, I mean, anytime McGregor is involved, it's always going to be some type of show, whether it's a spectacle, right. whatever you want to call it. There's always going to be something that's – I mean, he turns it into a circus almost. And to be honest with you, I, I like it because I know what he's doing. Most people think, oh, he's being a jerk. He's getting in that guy's head, and he gets in every person he fights – Head. I mean, he he had uh, Mayweather out of his element there for a little bit. I'm not saying he was ever winning that fight, but he had Mayweather actually out there fighting for a while. Right. No, well, think- Mayweather never does that against anybody until this guy 
McGregor comes at him and starts talking all that junk. And the thing is, there's only one fighter in the UFC who can do that, and that's Conor McGregor. Previously, Ronda Rousey had that type of star power, but they call that a crossover star, right? You can be just a normal Joe Schmo, never watched an MMA fight in your life, and I guarantee if I show you a picture of Conor McGregor, chances are that you probably know who that is. So, same thing, I'd say the same thing with Ronda Rousey. Yes. And well, especially now she with got the her, WWE. She got her face beat in, but... Yeah, pretty good. Kicks so, pretty good. Before we go into into depth about uh, this UFC, there's some couple things that I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I haven't got to be on here since um, last week. Uh, I went to uh, in the meantime, like in the time in between my last episode, I've gone to uh, I went to Louisville Live, which was like Louisville's kind of midnight madness type thing, right. uh, which I'll talk about. And I also was at the Florida State debacle. Which I'll also talk about. So, some sensitive stuff there. Sarah. It, uh, yeah, the first one's not really that sensitive. Right. Anybody that listens to this and or has talked to me about Chris Mack has known that I've been all in since he's come to Louisville. Uh, I love everything that Chris Mack is about. Uh, people that I have come in contact with that have met him or know him all speak highly of the guy. Um, and to be honest with you, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. If you look at his track record, it speaks for itself. Right. What he did was he took a program at Xavier that was already on the uptick and put it to the next level. Right. Took it to places that it hadn't been before in the Sweet 16s and the Elite Eights and winning, actually last season, winning the Big East Conference outright over the team that won the national title regular season. Well, that's what I'd add to you. I think maybe Xavier had plateaued at one point in time, and he took that program and elevated them to a new summit. I think even now in recruitment, they've got a better chance of recruiting some big-time guys compared to what they had before he was there. So that speaks a lot to that program. And the fact that we could pull him away from the place that he played at means a lot. Right. I knew that this was a guy that was going to go all in. I knew this was a guy that wasn't just taking a stepping stone job, which Louisville basketball and Louisville football to me are two different things. Right. It's, it's it's like the same thing with, with your teams, North Carolina and, and football and basketball. Football and basketball still, I mean, I think we're getting closer to where we can land a guy for good. Um, but basketball, it's you come to Louisville to stay. North Carolina, you come to – coach basketball there to stay you don't have guys that are going there to get a different job right. you just don't well look at the circumstances before that too think yeah. about it. any coach that was going to come into this knew all of the flack smog whatever you want to call it surrounding the program absolutely so for chris mack to take that step and go listen i'm confident in myself enough to go hey put the um, microscope or put the telescope on me and watch what I do with this program. Yeah. I think that says a lot about it. And not only has he done that, but one one thing that we didn't have with Patino was a social media presence, right. which in today's age is a huge thing. Whether you like social media or dislike social media, guess what? It doesn't matter. It's not about me or you, the fan. It's about what kids are trying to recruit. Right. And that's the biggest thing that I always try to tell people with jerseys. Well, that jersey's ugly. doesn't matter the recruits are liking it. You see recruits retweeting it or sharing it on Facebook. Right. That's all that matters. That's all they're doing it for. Right. They're doing it for the players that are there and the players that are coming there. Well, so at the end of the day, it doesn't point. matter. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's different when it's in the NFL. That's more for the fans because you're not recruiting players there until the offseason. Right. And they're not going to – nine times out of ten uh, – actually, I would say ten times out of ten, a player's not going to come to a team because of a jersey. 
Right. Well, and that's why you see NBA change those jerseys up so much because they know somebody might not buy the same jersey, but if they put out a special alternate jersey, whereas in college it's exactly like what you're alluding to. Think about it. They're putting, if you're a Nike flagship school, if you're a Jordan flagship school, if you're an Adidas flagship school, these kids know that you're getting all this gear 100% free of charge. Absolutely. And it's the latest and greatest gear. So that is a huge selling point. Yeah, so not only that, I mean, you just you have these kids that are just rocking all these shoes, rocking it, and they get it for free, and it's not illegal. Right. So, I, I mean, if you think that these jerseys are for fans in college, they're not. Right. It, now, the the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball, these alternate jerseys, like you're saying, are for the fans. Right. Because that's when they want to make the money off of merchandise sales. So, going to this Louisville Live thing, is another thing that we didn't have under Patino. Patino had a, a midnight madness one time, and when he did it, he said not a lot of people, not enough people showed up, so he didn't do it again. He still did red white scrimmages, which to me are just like, well, they're snooze fest to be honest with you. I'm still going to go to this year's because it's Chris Mack, and hopefully it'll be a little bit more interactive and different. But to be honest with you, it was, all right, cool. We're going to go here and watch the two teams play against each other. Uh, they're going to mix the teams up as evenly as possible. Um, and then we're going to hear Patino talk about how bad the defense was and crack some make some wisecrack joke. And then we'll go to the next one and do the exact same thing. Right. And it's just like boring, mediocre stuff. Now, you fast forward to Louisville Live. And – Louisville Live to me was as close to what you see on TV for these midnight madnesses that you could do. Right. And they topped it, in my opinion, because you put it in the middle of 4th Street. Right. It's, out, exactly it's outside. It's a venue. Think about it. How many of these other schools are in the heart of a major metropolitan area that yeah. has as many nice restaurants, facilities, and areas, and 4th Street Live is the perfect place to do it because yeah. it's intimate where everybody feels like they're involved, um, but it's also big enough to fit all the bodies in there that they need to. And there was about 7,500 people there. I heard it was pretty packed in. That was It was nuts. The pictures I saw showed that it was a pretty intense evening that had a lot of people um, really excited. I got there at... The event started at seven. I got there at five forty-five, five fifty. Parked okay. on the parked on the. Actually, I got there at five forty-five, five fifty. And if you're familiar with Fourth Street, I had to park on top of the Fifth Street garage. That's how packed it was already. Yeah. So I got there and I was about twenty deep from the court. Twenty deep from the court, and it was. It got. They got another twenty, thirty people behind me deep. Yeah. That's how packed it was. So. Man, just the excitement. Everyone knew that we needed to be pumped up. One, we didn't we didn't need to be pumped be pumped up, but we needed to be because we had a big recruit, which is also one I'm gonna allude to or talk about here in a minute. Okay. But the the excitement just I don't know, man, it the players seemed more excited. The players seemed more into it. And when they throw on uh who gonna run this town and he Mac comes out with the smoke going and the Louisville like flat curved bill hat and the big like bomber Louisville jacket. I was like, 
this is this is the dude right here. Like it, that's exactly what players want to see. Like players are like, oh yeah, my coach is dope. Well, what it shows is a culture change. Absolutely, absolutely. Right? Patino did this smart in a couple of ways. Like he was wearing the Yeezys, and a lot yeah. of people were putting that out there. But it's exactly like you said. I think everybody knew that he couldn't connect on a personal level. And while he is one of the best coaches of all time, I'll absolutely. give him credit where that is due. Absolutely. I don't think he ever had relationships with a lot of intimate relationships with a lot of his players. I can agree with that. I think that was, and that happens with coaches. I mean, you see these coaches towards the end of their careers. A lot of times, their their coaching takes a decline because it's a culture change or it's a it's a an era change. I mean, there's really only a few of them that really go out on top. I think K will, uh, Wooden did, uh, Smith did. Kind of. I mean, Smith really had a couple of years that were interesting as well, too. Yeah, but he still he still had teams there towards the end that were still there. Yeah. Well, and even when you look back at the players who were on those teams, that's going to raise a big red flag going, okay, yep, he had some elite talent as well, too, still during that. Yeah, so, um, so that, that's a big thing about it. Um, but we had a huge recruit. Louisville also uh, the – so moving back to the Virginia game, because I don't even think I talked – we lost to the Virginia game. And then you go – during the Virginia game, we get a huge recruit in David Johnson, the kid from Trinity. Right. And then out of nowhere, Thursday night, we get the uh, – we get a three-star recruit from Huntington Prep uh, that we knew – that we knew was a big – like he was interested in this a lot, Quinn – Selinski is his name. Okay. Not only did he commit, but he's like, I'm going to go ahead and redshirt next year too. Hmm. Like the, his his idea, I'm going to go ahead and redshirt next year. And it's like, what kind of kid does this? It's a kid that wants to learn. Right. It's a kid that really wants to be somewhere and really wants to make a difference at a, at a place. And he says, I'm not good enough yet. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in and I'm going to redshirt. And I'm gonna learn the system, right. and that's just the, that's just the way I'm gonna do it. And this is a place he wanted to be. Become a better player and a better man of it. Absolutely. So we get him, and we have uh, the biggest the biggest recruiting visit of the Mac era so far. Right. And well, the short Mac era. Short short Mac era. Come, I guarantee that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, and. Um, it's. I, I honestly think it went as best as it could go. Uh, is Aiden Agahan, for those of you that are under a rock that are Louisville fans that don't know who it is, the uh, <laughs> Aiden Agahan, his nickname is the Irish Hulk. And if you see him in person, you understand why. If you see his pictures on Instagram, you understand why. He's the 6'10", 215, 215-pound center out of Woodmere, New York. And to be honest with you, I think he's underrated because of the players he played with in AAU that kind of overshadowed him. Uh, one of his teammates actually just committed to Florida yesterday and Scotty Lewis. Scotty Lewis is a monster. 
and he played with him. So on a guard-heavy AAU team, it's hard for you to get a to lot of touches as a big man. Think about it. That possession or that position in general is an unglorified position anymore. So Absolutely. any of your big guys are extremely intricate to a championship team. You look at the teams who have won, they always have that one good big guy, which is either a rebounder or a defensive guy or even compounded in the post and knock down free throws at the end of the game. I think this is a huge addition. And to even have the opportunity to have a guy like him um, in his first year of recruiting people to U of L, I think that says a lot as well too. Well, he hasn't committed. I, right. Every all all indications point towards him committing to Louisville. Right. Um, I'm just saying to be in the yeah. mix at that point. A lot of people are are worried because he went to or he had that St. John's visit. People, he's from up there by St. John's. Right. It's a hometown school. It's like me and you walking to Louisville. I mean, that's it's across the bridge, dude. It's not a big deal. Uh, every every indication I've seen is between us and Oregon, us being Louisville, U of L and Oregon. That's the final two. Is everything I've seen. Well, and you can look at it a couple of ways, but I like recruits going to all these different things because sometimes that solidifies you as a forerunner. Yeah. So they see something when they're on the campus. They see something when they're in the classrooms. They see something when they're in the gym. Whatever it may be, coaching style, personality. Um, uh, you know, these kids have a lot of options these days. And whether you're on a recruiting board or not, if you're a good enough player, a coach will find a spot for you too. Absolutely. And uh, this, the the fan, normally I, anyone that knows me, I'm normally down on our fans a lot. I just, I've never really thought that our fan base was that fantastic. Right. We want a lot of things, but we're not there to give to give the to be there to get it right. Well, I think uh, you've been pretty realistic with it all. I wouldn't say you're a negative Nancy, but you've been pretty open about. Yeah, I mean, our fans get there late; they leave early. Right, and it's if you always want to be an elite college program that can't, can't be do the that. Case. No, and that's always irked me because our fan base has always said, "Well, why can't we do this? Why won't certain places do this?" It's because our fans kind of suck sometimes, mm-hmm. and I mean. That, I mean, that's kind of showed me after we lost to Florida State. I have season tickets. I've had season tickets. This is my third year in a row having season tickets. I don't care how bad the team is. If the team is 0-5 right now, I'm still going to be – my butt's going to be in the seat. I'm going to be there early. And it doesn't matter. Right. I saw a lot of tickets for sale to that Florida State game. They were still asking a decent amount of money, yeah. which is a good sign. But Well, you can ask all you want. Ask in one hand and <laughs> – what are the – what is it, ask in one hand and crap in the other, see which one fills up more? Right. Yeah, it doesn't it, – you can ask whatever you want. Just go to the game or give it to somebody you know is going to go. Right. That's been my biggest thing is, like, I was a kid that didn't grow up with a lot of stuff, so me going to games was – I'm taking advantage of that now that I'm older and I, I'm able to do that. I don't miss games. I very rarely miss games. I missed one game last year because of my nephew's birthday, and I never leave a game early. Well, I think I some of my personal favorite childhood memories are of going to specific stadiums or Absolutely. specific games or memorable events around sporting events. So I think that can attest to it, too. You're creating a memory for somebody. They need to be there. They need to be supporting yeah. the team, whether that's vocally um, or whether that's just being a body in a seat. You give it to a, a person that has a seven, eight, nine year old kid yeah. that has no idea what's really going on. Because not every seven, eight, nine year old kid's like me or you, where we really knew what was going on with the teams at that point. Right. Like a lot of these kids just see this stuff happening and they're enamored by everything. Well, and the spectacle of it. Yes. Think about it. it is not just a game going on. There's a lot going on around that as well too. So it's a great opportunity for them to get out there and see what some of this stuff is. 
think about it, a lot of these kids in that generation are going to be the next generation of elite athletes. Yeah. So it's got to start at some point. Yeah, so when you go to the game, um, we get Florida State, and I have been on – I have been a Bobby Petrino apologist until this game. I called into the post-game show. I waited on hold for 40 minutes. That's how upset I was. And that's like I was listening to people talk on the radio and calling into these guys and saying stuff. It's funny because the radio shows always bring out the most like ignorant people, it feels like. Right. And it's like radio shows and message boards. You'll get some of the most off-the-wall people ever. One of the guys on this show said that he agreed with Bobby throwing the ball, which I don't know if you're familiar with what happened at the end of our game. I did. I was recruiting for the North Carolina Tar Heels. So, for people that didn't watch the game, Louisville is up 24-21. to There's a minute 59 left in the game. You're on, they're on Florida State's 19-yard line. Florida State has two timeouts. And L have been dominating most of the game. Florida State had made a good push at that point, but still L was in major control of that game. Well, you... They had just gotten a first down on a Mickey Crum out route that gave them first down right. on the 19-yard line. I wish Mickey Crum would have stayed in bounds, but hey, that hindsight's 20-20. I actually said something when he did. I said, I'll stay in bounds. Didn't think it was going to be a big deal. Because you look up at the scoreboard, you're like, you're up three points. The other team has two timeouts. Your kicker's the best kicker you've had since Art Carmody. Right. Which Louisville fans know who Art Carmody is. And the momentum is slightly going towards Florida State as well, too. Absolutely. But with that Mickey Crumb first down, poop, right. now it's way back in Louisville's favor. Because right. now all you got to do is, okay, let's run, let's down the ball twice. Get them to call their two timeouts. This is just this is just off the wall thing. You can down the ball two times, get them to run their timeouts out. Right. Boom. And then run to the middle of the field and fall down. Right. You run the clock all the way down. You're going to have just over 30 seconds left with them with two timeouts on the 19-yard line. Let's say – Right, I really let, wouldn't advise that, but I know exactly let, yeah, what let's, you're saying. This yeah. is just a, an extreme right. extreme measure. If you're really going on what you should have done, hand the ball off to Hassan Hall, who has played fantastic the whole game. Run it. Hand it off to Hassan Hall again. Run it. Right. Hand it off to Son Hall again. Run it. If you get it, yeah. If you get a touchdown, fantastic. If you get it to the middle of the field, fantastic. Right. Take your now you give points. your kicker, who let's say he grows a wild hair and shanks the ball. Right. Okay. Now the so other team has to go up. 81 yards right. in just over 30 seconds with zero timeouts. Right. I like my chances with a quarterback who's not known for accuracy. No. It, I'm off. I'm off the Bobby Petrino wagon now. Yeah. I don't care how big the buyout is, because it's guess what? It's only going to get bigger next year, and it's only going to get bigger the year after that. I'm almost 100 percent positive it only gets bigger until his until his contract is over with. You might as well do it now while it's at this point, and you might as well do it now before someone comes and swoops up uh, Jeff Brom out of Purdue. Well, so I was going to say you got to have a good replacement. You can't just and Mark Ennis, the post-game uh, host, yeah. he asked the guy, well, what's your pitch to the fans if you do this? Go look at Louisville Live. You tell me that that breath of fresh air and Chris Mack didn't just change the whole program. Right. You asked me 
let's just go. Let's just go eight months ago. How I felt about the basketball well, team. Well, nobody would have wanted that until it actually came to fruition, which is probably some people with Petrino. Yeah. But there's probably some people who still don't want that because they've seen what he has done in the past. Yeah. But maybe a breath of fresh air would help. But you go back. Let's just say eight months, which this is what October. Yes. So you go back to February. When Louisville loses to Virginia, you ask me how I feel about our basketball program. Uh, now, now, I wouldn't want a different basketball. I mean, I, at the time, I still would say I'm not going to be a fan of anyone else. But now, I wouldn't want to be in anyone else's position. I think we are building towards what we want to be at Louisville right. and building for the future. Now, you bring Brom in here. He's got he's a local guy. He's a young guy. He's obviously he's recruiting. Decently well at Purdue. Right. People who weren't highly ranked even, too, are becoming stars for him. I mean, you get Rondell Moore, who granted is from this well, area. That's why he's so popular, but he's also had pretty good yeah. numbers to back that you up. You get Rondell Moore, from who's from this area, who a lot of people don't know he went to New Albany. I'm not giving Trinity credit for him. He went to New Albany. <laughs> um, I don't say he went to Trinity. He went to New Albany. So... You get you get Rondell Moore, or you get... And he was committed to Texas. Steals him from Texas. Oh. Flips like the day. I'm pretty sure he flipped like a week or two before signing day and then went to Purdue. The guy can recruit. And it's obvious that he can coach because Purdue was a dumpster fire. I'm sorry, Daniel. Purdue was a dumpster fire before that. And he's In all sports, well. if you might mention. Oh, sorry, my bad. No, just the football. There's your, there's your Big Ten talk for you. There's your, <laughs> there's your, your Big Ten talk. So, I think, I th- yeah, I think you go <laughs> – you pay the you pay the big buyout, and you pay the buyout to get Brom here. You do it. Yeah, tough pill to swallow. I get where you're coming from. You know, I, I'm out of this because I don't have any uh, dog in this fight. But I do understand 100% where you're coming from. I do think the it's kind of the analogy of a fresh wound type of deal. I think you know this could make or break the season. If they turn the season around, I think you know we might be singing a slightly different tune. With that being said, what's the best their season could well, be? Well, let's let's look at it this way. Yeah. Let's you say they turn their season around. Who are they going to beat? Okay, you beat Georgia Tech. Eh, doesn't really move the needle. Easy, yeah. Doesn't really move the needle if you beat them though. Either way. Right. Then you got um, who you got after that? Boston College maybe. Boston College has been decent. You're not going to beat Clemson. Uh, just you can go ahead and throw that out the window. You're not going to beat Clemson. Well, somehow their third quarterback gets hurt. <laughs> well, Trevor Lawrence is going to play this week. Is what it's looking like. So, yeah. uh, you got NC State, Syracuse. Syracuse has looked better. NC State's ranked now. Yep. NC State does not look bad either. No. And then you have I don't even like talking about them. Then you have Kentucky. Right. Who has arguably the best running back in the nation on their team. And are on fire right now. And what's killed Louisville all season is a running game. Right. It doesn't look good for him to turn the season around. Time of possession and control are the two statistics that I've seen that have stood out to me a lot in your all's games. Yeah, and it's like, okay, so who are you beating that? Syracuse and Syracuse and Georgia Tech. Which, did that, Syracuse just have a big one? Too? Syracuse. Or was they lost, they, they right? lost to Clemson, right. which they've done that every year to somebody. Right. Uh, well, they've won. Or no, they beat too. they beat Clemson last year, the year before. I think it was last year. Either and then, way, you know it's no cupcake. Yeah, and and you got to go to the Carrier Dome. Right. So what's the ceiling though? I mean, bowl 
bowl eligible. Right? I don't see how Louisville becomes bowl eligible. That's I mean, what 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 four teams are you going to beat? Right. Where do you get your wins? That's the thing. Yeah, where do you get your wins? NC State's no cupcake, even though I thought they would be with how many players they lost. They've looked improved. Syracuse has looked improved uh, compared to us. Right. Uh, Georgia Tech, okay, there's one win. So now you're now you go into week seven at three and three, and you got. I'm pretty sure that I'm not exactly positive on it, but I think after that you have a bye week and then you have Boston College. But it's the mentality now that every game you play in has extreme meaning to it. So hopefully those kids will embrace it and go, you know, we got one chance for our seniors on this team. Not everybody looks at it this way, but there's a couple of kids who might not ever get to play football again in their life. They need to do it at least for those kids. So you have Georgia Tech, then you have at Boston College. So even though it's Boston College, you're playing at Boston College, who beat us here last year. And A.J. Dillon's a monster, which is another great running back. Um, And then you take a week off and you go Wake Forest at home. And then you go to Clemson. So let's just say, okay, Georgia Tech and Wake Forest. There's two wins. And those neither one of those are going to be gimmies because we just lost to Florida State at home. And then you go to Syracuse. And then you have NC State at home and Kentucky at home. It's going to be tough for Lowell to be bowl eligible. I don't see it happening. And you got to worry because with how many bad teams there are this year, you got to wonder, there's going to be a lot of 6-6 six and six teams where they still take you right. to one of these bowl games with your track record for the season. Well, and it you also don't have goes Lamar. back to your fan base. I mean, I know UofL travels really well. well not only that, we don't have Lamar Jackson anymore. Right. So you don't have someone that's going to sell tickets just because they have a player on their team. Right. Like, it'd be different. If, you, if you're asking me as a, as a guy that is a bowl director and you say – we have a six and six Kentucky team and a six and six Louisville team this year. I'm taking Kentucky because they got Benny Snell. Right. Uh, that's what I'm taking. Right. Who's Louisville have that's going to move the needle? They it's don't have anybody. Puma, right? It's I mean, supposed to be pass, and I really don't think he's played bad in in a lot of areas. But there's also been a lot of areas he hasn't played well. Right. And you can't, to me, as as a Louisville fan, Petrino, you can't sell the season the way it's supposed to be, or you can't sell the season the way he was because what's to me, one thing that Petrino has always been with about his teams is he's always been honest. If he doesn't think his team is doing the way he's always been honest about it. The things he said, this offense is going to be better than any of the offenses I've had since I've been back. Hmm. You just had the one of the most offensive dominant players ever in college football. Right. But you know what that tells me? He doesn't, A, respect what he Lamar brought to the table, and B, um, it's like you said, he doesn't lie about that type of stuff. So that tells me they're underperforming on an astronomical level. Which would go on who? Right. Which would go on the coaching staff. Right. And then he also said this is the fastest team that he's had. It's like, man, I just I don't see it, man. I don't see it. Uh, when they said speed kills, they didn't think it was going to be like this. Yeah, right? they, they didn't realize it was going to kill herself. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, is as bad as it sounds – Watching the Alabama game when I was sitting in the stands in Orlando, it sucked watching my team lose that bad. Right. But I was, I was like, all right, we look good in a couple areas. Pass looked good. He held. He held. Uh, he handled the pressure a couple times. He threw a couple errant passes and there ended up being picks. But he was hitting receivers in the hands. And it was receiver drops right. that were big things, and that was the big thing in the first two or three games. 
Florida State, we didn't have any drops except for one. Well, going back to that game specifically, too, from what I had seen, most of the feedback from that was not that UofL was a terrible team, but that Alabama was just that good. So whenever yeah. you, there's always a storyline to every game. You come out of that game going, yep, they just gave it to us pretty good. Um, now we've got to turn the horse around and get it going right. So I think that wasn't a bad thing for them, but obviously it didn't work out the way I expected it to. Well, then you go the next week and it's like, all right, well, you had the monsoon, so you blame it on the rain right. when they played better against Indiana State and I and I'm be the first to admit I was the one doing this and I wasn't the only one saying this stuff there was there's a lot of people saying this well and it had some legitimacy to it yeah and then you go week three and you got perfect weather and you play another terrible team in western Kentucky who's not like the western Kentuckys that we've seen in the past couple years no and they almost lose they honestly should have lost and it's like, all right, well, now it's kind of hard to make excuses. Then you go to Virginia, and you're like, all right, right the ship, get out there, get away from home, right the ship, and you just get absolutely killed. All right, both sides of the ball. Yeah, 27-3, to and you're like, all right, they have a players-only meeting coming before Florida State. Uh, they seen steps forward, and then you come out, you look great in the first half, up 21-7 at halftime. And then this happens. Right. Those players-only meetings, they always worry me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, man, cool. That's great. Let's Maybe they found something inside themselves to do something here. Well, what are you saying in there that you can't say in front of your coach either? Yeah. I mean, there's a difference between a players-only meeting and then a player-led meeting. Um, so, yeah, those players-only meetings, they get me up in arms a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of feel like it's a lot of those things where coaches will stop people from saying stuff to each other. Where players only meetings, they'll say whatever they want to, and it's Flash like, look, it we're getting we're getting the frustration out here, and at the end of this, we're brothers and we're walking out of the locker room and we're together. Right. But right now, we're saying whatever we want, because you would hear that a lot with LeBron teams. Right. Uh, they had it with Kevin Love, I believe it was 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 when Kyrie was still there. Multiple times. To yeah, be and it was cr- big. I mean, think it, about all the rumors yeah. where Kevin Love is gone. Kevin Love is gone. And then they would have player, players only meetings, and Kevin now Kevin Love and and. LeBron are way closer than Kyrie and him ever were. Right. And to be honest with you, like, I like Kevin Love and I love Kevin Love. The the way, like, it made me, it, I don't know, watching him in Cleveland made me like him a whole lot. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes it's unfortunate, but as a media individual, sometimes perspectives are off a little bit, right? So maybe they have some of them right and some of them wrong. Yeah. It is a great point, though. Think about it. In a meeting, if you can come out of there, lay everything on the table, and walk out a different person, that could be a huge. Um, a huge thing for him. I know a lot of people who work a lot better just by airing some of that frustration. Absolutely. That in. So, long story short, even though it was a long story, <laughs> I'm off the I'm off the Petrino train. Let's boiler up and get brown. That's that's where I'm at. But uh, Saturday night we have in BJ's uh, prediction here correct. the biggest fight of all time. Fight fight card or no. fight. Fight in so general. just the single fight, the Khabib and Connor fight is going to be the biggest fight ever. Correct. I, I think a couple of different things bring that to the table. Is like I said, the Russian, the Irish, and the American. But I think we haven't ever seen anybody like Connor McGregor. We were talking about it earlier. Um, all of his antics outside the ring. But the thing that he brings to the table is he backs it all up once he steps inside there. So. 
I think this is going to be a great one. I do think um, exactly kind of what you were asking. I think the entire fight card on there, I think it's we talked about 12 fights roughly somewhere in between there. Some of those are on the pay-per-view. Some of those will be on prelims. Some of those will be on UFC Fight Pass. But all of those fights, we were talking about it before, look like they're fun fights. Each one of those fights have a storyline to them. Obviously, the one I'm most excited about is Khabib versus Conor at that yeah. point, though. So it looks like 13, but – or no, okay. 12, uh, 13 were scheduled, the one canceled. Uh, so right. start – I mean, starting in the early prelims, which are the ones that are not, that are not on uh, pay-per-view, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you have a – a welterweight, a lightweight fight, and then a women bantamweight. So, I mean, just looking over these three fights, uh, there's a lot of numbers in the loss column for a lot of these people other than Ryan LaFleur. LaFleur has two losses, but everybody else is 8-3, and 10-4, and 13-6, and 13-6-1, 28-9-2, and 13-4. And, and we were talking about that just a minute ago. There's a lot of losses, and it seems like the, the female fighters have a lot more losses than what a lot of these guy fighters because I, something I didn't think about, but I think it kind of goes along with what you were saying. I feel like a, with women fighters, there's not as many of them out there for one. Mm-hmm. So I won't say they're a dime a dozen, but these male fighters are – almost a dime a dozen where if you start losing fights these guys aren't going to promote you anymore right where these women fighters if they're showing potential and even though they're losing fights early on they're still going to put somebody behind them right well the craziest thing about it this is a I don't like looking at this way, but the simplest way of putting it is, think about at the zoo right you've got some elite animals in there your lions your tigers they got to be fed by something too so it is really, really <laughs> tough to say that when it comes to the females fighting, right? But there's some elite female fighters. They've got to have some chum for them at some point. So yeah. a lot of these girls have great storylines. And I think, you know, I was one of those people who originally when female MMA came to the forefront, I was kind of indecisive about it. I was never completely against it because you got to give them their opportunity. But I didn't think I would enjoy watching female fights. The funniest thing about it is we were speaking briefly before this, and one of my fights that I'm most excited about on this will be two females duking it out. Um, The other thing is, too, I think we touched base on it briefly, but the female fighters are a newer generation, right? And what MMA is, is it's mixing all these different martial arts styles. Could be karate, taekwondo, kickboxing, Muay Thai, jiu-jitsu wrestling, all these different styles, right, are coming together and they're fighting under one banner. So it's really trying to see what is the elite fighting style. The reality of that situation is styles make matchups and there is no elite style. So hence some of these losses as well too. Some of these girls are really great standing up and throwing hands. Some of them are really great taking it to the ground and wrestling. Some of them are really good at jujitsu, but not all these girls have seen all these different fights yeah. as some of the guys as well. That's too. what's crazy that a lot of people don't realize, because I watch this off and on. I don't watch it near as much as you do or some of my friends do, but I've watched it enough to see the strategy that goes into this. Wow. And a lot of people, like you were saying, a lot of people that would listen to this that don't really know much about the UFC, they think it's two guys going out on a mat and they're just going to beat each other's brains in. Right. That's a common it's it's, it's it's like football or basketball. There's different styles of there's different styles of playing basketball. There's different styles of playing football. Uh, you just mentioned the triple option that Georgia Tech's going to have. Right. 
there's ground and pound guys in UFC. There's stand-up fighters. There's submission fighters. There's so many things that go into how a guy fights, and you have to know what that guy does in every defense. Right. You have to know when he's coming at you, this is how I'm going to combat that and go at him. And just like any other sport, they're finding tendencies. They're finding when you're in a back-against-the-wall type position, what you're going to do at that point. You'll laugh at this, but the way I always heard it, and it was one of the ways that was best presented it to me, was this is elite-level chess with dire circumstances. Now, the great thing about the UFC is nobody has ever passed away from a fight in the ring or outside of that. Um, now, specifically about the UFC. So these people aren't going in there trying to end. You know, you hear some of these people trying to promote a fight, saying they're going to end that person's life. That's not what this is Conor about. McGregor. This is like Andy, yeah, Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor. <laughs> yeah, he's notorious for that. But um, these guys are going on there to A, put on a show, B, they're earning substantial money for themselves and their family, and C, they're growing a sport, which when it was originally designed, there was really no rules to be had. You yeah. had a small guy fighting a big guy. You had a And it was all fighter. in one fight, and it was a big tournament, right? Correct. They have multiple different things, right? Once again, UFC is the one that is most popularly known, but it really originated from the Gracies doing the different styles of fights, yes. Yeah, it's so, so it's nuts. So looking at the, the, uh, the early prelims, you have, uh, like I said, those those three areas. Which one's your favorite fight out of these three? Which one, or which one are you most looking forward to watching out of these three? You got a couple of really really fun fights, right? The number one fight on that entire card that I'm extremely excited about is going to be that Michelle Waterson, the Karate Hottie versus Felice Herrig. Felice Herrig is an absolute bulldog. Um, she likes to come forward, and she's not going to stand there and let you push her back up against the fight. Michelle Watterson, hence the name, has a karate background that this girl throws some elite kicks. Um, she's been in there against champions as well, too. Um, a lot of background um, with Jackson Wink as far as fighting different. That's her fight camp where she trains at. She fights all different fighters in there. Um, I think... To be honest, this fight is a little bit of a toss-up. I really don't know who's going to win that, but that's the fight that I most am intrigued by. All right, so that was one of the things that I brought up earlier because if you look at both of these records, Watterson's 15-6 and six and Herrig is 14-7. and seven. Right. And that was when I was like, man, that's kind of nuts to, to think that because, I mean, you look at – I mean, let's just look at McGregor and Khabib. Khabib's 26-0, and 0, McGregor's 21-3. and 3. It just doesn't. It doesn't happen very often in in male UFC fight. It doesn't seem like at least. It seems like if you start losing, then I'm sorry, man, but you're gonna have to go. Right. Well, the other thing is, think about it. Whereas in a football, basketball, whatever, you've got multiple games in a season. Well, what is your season in a MMA? It's your career, yeah. right? So your career. You know, this girl's been fighting for five, six years now. At this point, you're only getting. You know, really, I've I've seen some fighters fight five fights in a year, and that blows my mind. I'm just like. Think about it. You've got fight camps in between. You've got injuries coming out of them. You've got all these things. You're pushing your body to the limit. Um, but yeah, it's it's that's a almost a fight every two months. Correct. That's it's, that's nuts. Yeah, you know, it's insane. Not many people do that. I, I've seen a couple of them go for, and typically those are people who are finishing fights quick or coming out without damage. Well, how do you do that? You either got to be a Mayweather type of fighter and avoid all these things that are coming at you. But in boxing, it's a whole different ball game. So boxing does translate. 
translate to the UFC and MMA where that is a skill set that is greatly utilized. Yeah. McGregor's best skill set really is probably his hands or his boxing. His left hand is what will finish a lot of people. Um, but there's things that counter that as well, too. Yeah. I mean, that showed in that Mayweather fight because he countered a lot of stuff he was bringing at him, and he didn't really know what to do with it. Yeah. So moving up to the heavyweight fight, uh, you got Derek Lewis, who's 20-5, and five, uh, and Alexander Volkov, who's 30-6. Right. So who do you like? Who do you like in this fight? You know, this is going to be a great fight as well, too. You've got two kind of seasoned veterans in the MMA, but both of them are hitting their stride right now. I do genuinely believe that this fight is going to present a title contender. So not necessarily the winner of this will fight the champion, which is Daniel Cormier currently or DC. Um, but I think if they win another fight after that, they're going to be in the mix for it. Volkov is a long 6'7", rangy fighter. He's got good stand-up, but he also has good groundwork as well, too. Derek Lewis is underrated on the ground, but his right hand will put anybody to sleep. If he touches you on your chin, um, you're going to go out. I was actually just watching a fight last night, which was Travis Brown versus Derek Lewis, and I was thinking in my head, this could have some similarities to what could happen this fight. Um, Travis Brown is a Hawaiian fighter, but he was 6'6 half, so he's that long, rangy guy. He liked to utilize a lot of his kicks. He was tearing Derek Lewis up to his body, a lot of straight push kicks, um, snap kicks, and then Derek Lewis caught him with that one shot that changed the entire fight. So if you're asking me who I'm going to take, I'm going to take Derek Lewis. I'm going to take it by a TKO. He's going to get the technical knockout. The referee's going to stop it. Um, with that being said, these are two elite fighters who are both um, in the mix right now in the UFC heavyweight division. Yeah, I mean, looking back at a couple of fights, Derek Lewis is coming. He's won his last two fights. Over the last a great one, fighter, by the way. The last one he won on a decision. The one before that he won on a KO, TKO. Right. Um, his last fight was a little bit of a snooze fest, by the way. But nine times out of ten, when this guy fights, you're going to enjoy the show. And Volkov is coming off of a KO as well. Correct. Over Fabricio Werdum. Correct. Where Doom is known for Our his jiu-jitsu. It's, it's exactly how you pronounce it. Um, he's known for his jiu-jitsu, but he's also one of the original um, heavyweight guys who is a dominant figure. F previous MMA champion in UFC, um, as well as another organization. But, yeah, both these guys are coming off big wins. Derek Lewis wasn't really proud of his win. He's got some back injuries that he was dealing with, though. And he, I mean, he fought in July. Correct. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a big thing. Volkov hasn't fought since March. And not only did he fight in July, he also fought in February. Volkov's had one fight this year. The one good thing, though, is Derek Lewis, like I said, it was a little bit of a snooze fest in his last fight against Ngannou. Francis Ngannou is probably the hardest hitter out of anybody in the entire UFC, and I think he knew what Derek Lewis brought to the table. Both guys were a little bit tentative, um, but, yeah. I think even though Derek Lewis is coming off the most recent fight, I think Derek Lewis hopefully should be fresh because he didn't really ob obtain any damage in that fight. So moving up, you have a uh, light heavyweight fight with old Vince St. Preux. Former Tennessee football player as well, too. Nice. Mm -hmm. Against Dominic Reyes. Dominic Reyes comes in at 9-0. Right. Old Vince comes in at 23-11. 
So he he must have played a while a while ago because he's already fought thirty four professional fights. He's one of those guys who you see fight very frequently. Um, he's one of those guys who actually was in a title contention um, spot as well too. But he's had a recent setback that kind of took him out. I believe it was Corey Anderson beat him if I'm not incorrect. And uh, Corey Anderson is a great fighter who's now in the title can contention um but yeah he, he's been in mma for i'd say probably seven-ish years looks like he lost to alir latifi latifi, latifi. Yep. yeah um, alir latifi beat him on uh february 24th in ufc on fox do you see the Corey anderson fight on there by chance uh this is only this year okay. uh it was actually the latifi fight was canceled earlier in january then he fought him a month later in february and he also beat tyson uh, pedro Right. That's the only fights he's had this year. So And Latifi's another guy who's in that title contention. Actually, after his last win... He, he actually beat Corey Anderson. Yeah. He beat Corey Anderson on a knockout. That's uh, the one I couldn't remember. That was yeah. a great fight, though. If you're ever bored and trying to figure out a fight to watch that is not your typical stand-up and just two guys trying to knock their heads off, that is one that shows you wrestling background of Corey Anderson compared to the stand-up background of Ovin St. Peru. Yeah, it said said he knocked. It said Ovince knocked out Corey Anderson in round three. So that was November of 2017. Yeah. Uh, so who are you going to take in this fight? In the Ovin, St. Pru, and Dominic Reyes fight, I'm going to go with OSP. OSP has a lot more experience. Yes, he's got more losses with that, but it's like I said, he's fought a lot of different styles. I do think Dominic, um, and I, I don't want to mispronounce his last name. I don't know if it's technically Reyes or Hayes, but it's, it's Dominic is what I'll call him. Um, he's a young up-and-comer. He's got the full package. He's kind of what they call the new generation. He's got the groundwork. He's got the grappling. He's got the striking. I think he will become a better man after this loss, but I've got OSP from decision as well, too. I think it goes all three rounds, and uh, OSP wins it with a decision. Nice. So, I mean, so far, you're, 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 the big thing about it is, man, is if it goes to his decision, one, you want the person that deserves to win it to win it, right. and two, you want it to be a good fight. And Which both that, of those are easier said than done. Absolutely. Uh, I feel like in the fighting world, UFC gets that right way more often than boxing does. Right. Uh, where you'll have a good fight that you'll pay for in pay-per-view, and the person that should win wins. Normally, it's UFC. They know they now they've messed it up in the past, but the, I feel like they very rarely mess it up. Yeah. And that's why people keep coming back and watching the UFC. Boxing, there's a huge stigma to it. You can watch a fight and go, okay, it's going to be at this area or it's in this person's home state or this commission is doing it. This person is going to have to win with a knockout because there's no chance he's going to win by decision. Yeah. That's not the case with the UFC. Now, it's like you said, we even talked about this earlier with the fantasy aspect of it. How do you really grade a fight, right? Are you going to put more value on the punches? Are you going to go off damage? There is a set rule book that tells them kind of how to strategize who won and whatnot. Um, but nobody's perfect. And you and I could both watch the same fight and go, okay, he just won that round. No, the other guy won that round. Yeah. I've seen a lot of really, really close fights. That's kind of one of those deals you say neither of them can be mad. But there's no storyline that goes along with MMA that's like boxing with that. Yeah, so the next two fights you say could have implications of a championship fight if it goes certain ways. Huge. Uh, 
you say there's a big because uh, I, I don't keep up with it near as much as you do honestly i don't keep up with it really at all as much as i used to well there's so much content now you yeah. can't really keep up with it so i know you watch some of the major fights and you're a fan of it with that being said it's almost impossible to watch every fight because it's almost every weekend yeah so you you were speaking on the with you know with the big rat beefs now the beef between tony ferguson and khabib right and you there's there's been uh you say there was a fight that was called or multiple fights that were scheduled so they both signed to fight each other and then multiple things happened to where one of the fighters fell out most recently these two were scheduled to fight for the vacant 155 pound um, title um, unfortunately, Tony Ferguson tripped and fell on a power cord or extension cord in the Fox Studios while he was there doing media for that fight. And I, I forget if it was ACL, MCL, meniscus, what it was, but had a major knee injury. Oh, right? my goodness. So, yeah, this is his first fight coming back from that, right? But then before that, there was even supposed to be another fight with Khabib. Khabib missed weight, and actually his internal organs, I believe, once again, it was either liver or kidney. I think it was kidneys um, that were shutting down from these weight cuts. And these weight cuts are serious because you hear they're fighting at 155 pounds. When these two gentlemen enter the ring, I can almost guarantee you that both of them will be almost or at least 170 pounds when they're yeah. in there fighting. So it's a whole different ball game. Um, I think the narrative that the UFC, and you'll see this with their quote-unquote matchmaking, they're trying to set up an opponent for if one of these guys specifically wins, then if Tony Ferguson wins, he will have a chance at them as I well mean, too. You may not like this, but honestly, UFC is real-life wrestling. Right. It really is because it's all about storylines and who dislikes who and who doesn't like who and who can fight in the future. Big time. And to be honest with you, that's that's not a bad thing to me because if wrestling was real, it would be pretty cool. But this is as close to real-life wrestling as you're going to get because, hey, you're getting wrestling in it and fighting in it, but you're also getting storylines where Conor McGregor is like a wrestler. I mean – Brock Lesnar was a wrestler. Right. I mean, Conor McGregor is like a wrestler. The way you, if you haven't watched any of his press conferences, one, I'll use this saying again: "You live under a rock." Because how you've never seen anything he does, I have no idea. The dude is absolutely out of his mind all the time. Yeah. He does it to strictly get in people's heads. And judging by his record, he does a good job. And it's he's literally like a wrestler he's like the macho man or, or the rock or stone cold or something he just gets in people's heads big time well even coming off of that mayweather fight you watched a lot of things that he was doing he had not done some of those before so he kind of jacks your swag a little bit so to speak and then flips it back on you so conor mcgregor and khabib recently had the first time where they sat down and had what they called a press conference yeah. right McGregor is genius in these, and, and this is where you've seen all of his clips of who is that guy, you know, and and this and that. It's Red Panty Night, and all these things that he says to get it's inside. One of them. It's one of them. The one where he brought the bourbon out there, and it was the Irish or the Irish whiskey. Oh, that was so good. Him so and Dana, him and one, yeah, no. him and Dana White drink it. That was he said not none of that Jameson stuff because that Jameson stuff's garbage. Well, and think about this. This is actually his whiskey that he's been promoting since the did not know that. fight as well too. I did yeah. not know that. So once again, this just shows you his genius behind it all. As soon as the Mayweather fight is over, right? He knows he's got all these eyes on him. Comes to the press conference, lost. 
most people would think he would be devastated, right? This dude is on cloud nine at that point, handing out whiskey to everybody up there. Tells them that he's gonna drop this whiskey. Now, and, and don't think this is a mistake by any means. No. Now he's coming back. This is supposed to be the biggest fight of all time for MMA. I personally say it's the biggest fight of all time in general, right? But now he brings out and releases his line of whiskey, Proper 12, and he knows exactly how to do it. First time they meet eye to eye, he comes up there, he puts a bottle, but once again, there's a backstory to it, right? He's got his big bottle in his hand, he's got his two UFC championship belts. During the event, he opens up his pocket and he goes, funny thing is, I didn't think they were gonna let me bring this big bottle in here, so I brought an extra, just in I had to sneak. I had to sneak it in, <laughs> and he's so, like, who's got a cup for me? He had to get a cup and everything, and Dana White's like, Oh my goodness! I'm making so much money right now. Like no. <laughs> Dana White, like at some points he's like, "Hmm." Well, I think the only thought going through his head at this point is, "How do I keep both these guys from putting their hands on each other before the actual fight?" Because there is some real bad blood. And sometimes when you're best friends before a fight, you know, good fights come of that. But typically, the fights that you see people go to war in are the fights that they there's some real animosity there. And then you're mixing into the equation the championship belt. Then you're mixing into the equation Conor McGregor coming back from a long layoff. Then you're mixing into the equation Khabib being told that he can't make that 155-pound weight. I think there's a lot of tension going into and this fight. Khabib is the guy that was on the bus too, right? Correct. That So, I mean, if you guys didn't see that, there was a big blow-up. It was after the Mayweather fight. It was back in, what, February or somewhere around there? I think uh, it was a little closer to... May-ish, it, it was it was his during Khabib's fight, right? Yes, it was his Khabib's fight, fight uh, April seventh. April seventh. Okay. Yeah, April seventh. They were where did they fight? At? I felt like it was New, New York. York. Yeah, correct. Madison Square Garden. I'm, or it was no, it was Barclays. Uh, it was Barclays. Barclays. They were fighting at Barclays, and uh, McGregor just shows up out of nowhere, what? and a lot of people said that he just seemed out of his mind. And he threw a parking rail through the window of Khabib's bus and shattered the window all over the people inside of there. Correct. And once again, you know what McGregor is doing, right? But this actually is a little more of a story than what his typical antics are, right? In MMA, you're fighting by yourself, but you have a team, a team that you train with, right? His team is SBG Ireland. So um, he's got other fighters who fight in the UFC and other fight organizations. The guy who is probably his closest to him and a guy who he actually came to coach on Ultimate Fighter is Artem Lobov. The funniest thing about it is Artem Lobov is actually nationally a Russian but moved to Ireland to train with SBG, right? Yeah. So him and Khabib have some bad blood. Still to this day, it hasn't really came out what that bad blood is over. Khabib calls um, Artem a traitor, and you can see there's actually videos out here that you can go and look on YouTube of the confrontation of Artem Lobov. So props to McGregor. McGregor rounds up the troops, gets his private plane, flies over from Ireland to defend his best friend's honor and tell him, look, no, 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 my friend, that's not going to happen. If you fight him, you fight all of us. Now, once again, the thing that we know as inside, we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit. A lot of that stuff has marketing background to it. With that being said, this is genuine bad blood because of what he did to his friend. Absolutely. So to the, light, the lightweight uh, co-main event, 
You got Tony Ferguson, who's twenty three and three, and Anthony Pettis, who's twenty one seven. Right. So, who who are you taking in this one? What do you like in this one? So this is once again, I think there's a storyline involved with it, right? If you look at the fight cards, UFC normally has a fight in mind. What I'm seeing from looking at this, I'm seeing it as UFC has said on record they would never make the Tony Ferguson and the Khabib fight again. You know what that tells me? It's probably a good chance that's going to be the next yeah. fight they make, right? You can't Tony Ferguson. Act Actually, when he got injured by tripping and falling on a Fox set, you know, that's who has the rights to the UFC right now, um, was stripped of his title because that was the interim title then. So you can't skip over Tony Ferguson and go to the next guy and say, hey, the next guy gets a chance. The only person who would be able to do that would be a GSP, George St. Pierre, one of the most popular and most notorious fighters in the MMA world, um, were to want to fight at 155. But what I'm seeing is I'm seeing Tony Ferguson with a win. I think Anthony Pettis is a very viable opponent. I think Anthony Pettis has hit a little bit of a downslide coming off a recent victory. But after he was the champion, coming over from WEC, then becoming a champion in UFC, um, hasn't quite been the same. A guy a lot of people might have heard of is Benson Henderson. If you ever want to see the coolest MMA highlight of all time, watch Anthony Pettis beat Benson Henderson by jumping and running off the cage and throwing a kick to the dude's face. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're taking Ferguson in this. I'm taking first Ferguson all the way. Probably, I'd say he's going to win by submission victory. I think Anthony Pettis has great jujitsu, but I think to- Tony Ferguson is a different level. Very awkward, awkward fighter to fight as well. So, drum. Drum roll, we got the main event. Khabib, I'm not going to attempt this. How do you say his last name? Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov, there, there it is. Against Conor McGregor, the people's champ, Paul Wall. The people's champ. Who you, who you got in this one? What's, there, I know you said the storyline that everyone wants is if Khabib wins and Tony Ferguson wins, there's going to be a title fight between those two. Right. Let's hope you don't fall into it and you let that happen. Let's hear what you got. So what I'm thinking is a couple of things. First of all, this fight could go any way. Anybody who tells you they know exactly what's going to happen is complete insane because, once again, styles make matchup. You've got Conor McGregor who can put anybody to sleep with the left hand but is very underrated in all of his different facets of his MMA fighting style. He can evade um, different things. His main knock against him is his wrestling defense, right? Um, you look at past fights like Chad Mendez. Chad Mendez was able able to take him to the ground and dominate McGregor on the ground. But guess who ended up winning that fight? McGregor, McGregor comes back and finishes a gassed out and a tired Chad Mendez. Well, the other thing is you've got Khabib Nurmagomedov on the other side, right? This is a pressure fighter. This is a guy who's going to come forward the entire fight. He's going to throw punches, elbows, kicks. But what he really wants to do is let you kind of fall asleep and all of that so that he can take you to the ground and he's going to maul you like a bear. Um, elite level grappling and wrestling, something like a lot of these guys have never seen, uses both his upper body and his bottom um, half to control people. 
I think what happens is Khabib presses forward, right? I think Conor McGregor has a couple of things that not many other people have. He's got speed, he's got power, and he's got precision. Most people have some type of combination of those. I don't think anybody has it on the level that what McGregor has. Um, it is a five-round fight, so I'm going to take Conor McGregor. I'm going to say he finishes it in the third round, early third round. I think... He knows in his head if it goes five rounds, kind of like the boxing thing we yeah. were talking about earlier, he doesn't have a good chance. Not because of the referees involved, but Khabib is known for his gas tank, and um, he's going to take the fight where he wants to take it in those later rounds. So I think Connor knows he's got to finish him off early. So you didn't go with what I thought you would go with. I you thought not. you said the storyline was there, but you don't think it's going to go there. So you don't think there's a chance that Ferguson and McGregor fight if they both win? I do. I, I think actually both these guys have been rumored to retire after the fight. I think that kind of shows you the gravity of this fight as well, too. I think the one that is actually, you'll laugh at this, because after the Mayweather thing, all we heard was that McGregor would never fight again, right? I think it's in both of their blood to fight again, but I think the people behind them, their promoters, are the ones who are advising this. If you're Khabib Nurmagomedov, you're 27 and zero, you have zero blemishes on your record, you just beat the guy who is currently the face of MMA and notoriously the best fighter, right? Yeah. What is left for you out there? You fight all these other guys behind him and take a chance at losing? That doesn't make any sense. Go back to the wrestling thing. This is where his value, and think about it like a business is going to be at the highest once again the only other fighter that Khabib would be in the mix with besides Ferguson is going to be GSP GSP has looked a lot smaller lately from his previous fight at 185 which he won against Michael Bisping and took that belt he usually fights at 170 Signs say there might be a chance that he could come down and fight at 155. If he does that, you think that's the only way if Khabib wins that he'll fight again? I, I think there's a good chance that both of these guys fight again because I think, you know, two things involved with that. Like I said, their fighter spirit and money-wise, you know, eventually the well runs dry. I think they tell everybody that neither of these guys are fighters. Obviously, UFC is not going to say that because UFC wants them back right away. I think both these guys verbally say, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to see where the land falls as far as all the other fights on that night and the other upcoming fights. But I, I think Khabib is the guy who more realistically could retire with that zero on his record. So we'll, we have to wait and see. That's the good thing about these is we have to wait and see. Uh, I won't be able to watch it. I have a, I have an NBA draft, uh, fantasy draft this week, this weekend, um, and I'll also be watching college football and it's pay per view. I'm not gonna pay for it, so uh, I know BJ will be paying for it, quote unquote, because he's paid for it in the future, in the past with his fire stick. So, <laughs> I mean, anybody that watches these things nine times out of ten, most people are watching my fire stick anyway. I feel like. It's expensive. It's like yeah. I said, think about it. If you've got it ever now, the pay-per-views are typically twelve to fifteen a year, seventy dollars a piece. That adds up pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So, BJ, I thank you for coming on here. You said, Well man, I won't go too in depth about it. I told you, man, dive yeah. into it all the way because there's gonna be people that are gonna be like, Man, I didn't know that about this and I didn't know this stuff. I'm trying to bring new stuff to it, I'm trying to trying to keep it new and, and going. 
Um, I told you already. I'm not going to say who I have next week, but. Big time guest. Yeah, big time for two episodes next week that I already have confirmed. And think about it, this is only the beginning of the future, too. Absolutely. Got a lot of guys who are still out there who are talking about being on here. They've just got to find something or some reason for them to be on here. So I think look out for a lot of big guests in the future. And I think tonight was exactly like what we knew it would be. Even yeah. though we didn't want to go overboard, somehow magically we always end up overboard. Well, I, I told you, man. I was like, man, I'm not going to stop you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there and you just go. Huh. And – well, hopefully this presents a light and sheds a light on UFC that a lot of people have never looked at it that way. This is not, you know, what a lot of people personify it as. It's a whole different thing. If you can look at it from the sporting aspect of it, I think you'll actually like a lot of these people. And if you see some of them outside of their wrestling-type persona and meet them in real life, these are real people who are elite-level competitors, and literally they've got no quit in them. Yeah. I mean, this... This just like soccer. I mean, I like UFC. I'm not a fan of soccer, but it's something that I respect somebody for because of how much physical endurance these people have to have to do this stuff. They're laying it all on the line. Every single night they step in there, there's a chance, unfortunately, that they might not walk out the same. Absolutely. So, BJ, I thank you for coming on again. It definitely won't be the last time. I know I said that last time, but it won't be because – North Carolina and Louisville play again in basketball, so we'll talk about that one for sure. Well, I love doing it. Hopefully the audience enjoyed it as well, too, and uh, we'll catch you next time, Beef. Absolutely, man. So, guys, keep liking, keep sharing, and look forward to those episodes next week because I got something coming next Friday. It should be around the end of next week. I have an interview coming the end of next week that is going to blow some people away that a guy – that is running his own podcast and doing all the legwork himself is able to get a guest like or able to get an interview like that so be looking out for that one because it's it's gonna be big time so keep liking keep sharing i'm gonna keep putting these out and i can't really sleep on the one for next wednesday either because that's gonna be a fantastic one as well so just be ready for next week is all i'm gonna say um try to stay cool because for some reason it warmed up again which i'm not upset about i'd rather be summer all year round i'm with you yeah i'd rather be summer all year round so guys keep liking keep sharing beef out